When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Panic. Nothing personal. Word of the day. Monday, July 19th, 2021 is panic. The lead story in my mind is what happened at Nationals Park this past weekend. An absolute nightmare for everyone in that ballpark, for every executive, for every player. If you don't know what happened, I want to take a minute to recap and then give you a little insight, which is what we do on Nothing Personal. Game's going on. It's the Nationals. It's the Padres. You're in Washington. Everything's fine, other than the fact that your home team is not winning the game. Eight to four Padres, bottom of the sixth inning after a three-run top of the sixth. All of a sudden, there's some sort of bang, and no one knows what's happening. What's happening is that there's gunfire either in or out of the ballpark. Players come off the field because they're off the field and all of a sudden panic sets in. I want to help you understand what should have happened, what did happen, and what needs to change. When you run a ballpark, I've said it that my nightmare, remember talking about the all-star game, Coca? I can't remember where I did this. Was it on Nothing Personal? Maybe on Levitard. I I cannot remember. I said to you, my highlight of All-Star Weekend in 2017 in Miami, the highlight, the biggest memory I have is the minute the last person left Marlins Park. I'm responsible for that game, only 39,000 souls. Most times it's only 5,000 souls, 10. I'm not responsible for the souls we make up but for the people actually there. But on top of that, don't forget to add the workers. The people who work concessions, the people who working tickets, your employees who were there. So every single game, that is a concern I would have. We would do something called active shooter training. Among other things that we had in a handbook, that it is clearly written what to do in certain situations. Why do you write down what to do when something happens that doesn't normally happen or shouldn't ever happen, but don't get me started? You write down the protocol, you write down the 10-step plan, the five-step plan, the 50-step plan, because when there is panic, As much as you say, hey, I'm good, I've got this, my head is clear, my heart rate is down, there are things that can be forgotten. Let's go to something as ordinary as being a pilot. Now, being a pilot is the coolest, most extraordinary thing, but you could be a pilot for one day with one hour of flying time, 
or you can be a 10-year veteran pilot who has flown thousands of hours. When they are taking off, there is a checklist and they read the checklist. One, check wind shear rates. Two, flip switch 42A on. I'm not a pilot. I can't tell you what it is, but they're checking the checklist. They go through it and there's two of them going through it. On landing, checklist before they turn the plane off and on. You get what I'm saying? When there's a fire and you need to use your home fire extinguisher, the reason why they put it in big letters, the checklist of what to do to get the fire extinguisher going is because when there is a house fire, you can panic and you wanna do it right, obviously after calling 911. We had checklists and safety books for hurricanes, for thunder and lightning storms, for cardiac arrest, food poisoning, people hitting the head with the ball and their brains are splattered from the ball. You've got a checklist of what to do in an active shooter. You are working with the police because there are not just your security, baseball teams and all of the arenas and stadiums you go to, there are security companies, let's say it's CSC, the companies that wear the yellow windbreakers. There's other companies as well. We use CSC, Contemporary Services Company. Those are the security people that you see running onto the field to chase streakers. They're the ones that you see throughout the ballpark, walking around outside the ballpark. They are not armed. They are not dangerous. There is no John Candy or Eugene Levy to be seen. However, they are meant to be in communication with uniformed police, with uniformed first responders, and with the executive of the home team who is the first person on the flow chart to be called when there are issues in the ballpark. We've got a sign in section 14 that says Samson sucks. What do you want us to do? The call goes into the person on the checklist who's the number one person to get called for a situation where there is a decision to be made on fan misconduct. For us, it was our head of ballpark operations. That man would then decide he was a man, not he's still a man. That man, Claude, would decide, do I call David or do I take care of this issue myself? He's got a flow chart when his calls come in. In that instance, he wouldn't have called me. He would take it down. Because if he'd call me, I'd tell him to keep it up. Because I've told him in advance, I'm fine with signs that say Samson sucks. Just don't say Loria sucks. That we're going to take down. When there is an active shooter or gunshots are heard, let's not even get there yet, Coco. Let's get to a fight in the stands. When security comes, then police come. The decision is made by the security company to eject. But before the ejection happens, there are two calls that are made because there is an approval of an ejection because I don't want problems. I want to make sure that when a fan is ejected, they are ejected for something that is part of my list of what fans get ejected for. Dropping an F-bomb 
when there's an eight-year-old around is not grounds for ejection. Dropping multiple F-bombs when you're hammered and being verbally abusive is ground for ejection, but not arrest. A fight in the stands is grounds for ejection and holding cell in the ballpark, then let him go. Yes, there are holding cells in ballparks. Every ballpark has it, a place where there's actually, you go, it's like ballpark jail. I hope you are very clear that there are myriad things going on during the course of a ballpark. When they run out of hot dogs, I'm getting the call because I've got a PR issue. When there's people waiting on extra lines because we have a sold out game like opening day, I'm not getting the call because there's nothing I can do. In Washington, when shots were heard, the call that needs to be made immediately would go to the head of ballpark operations who would then call me and we would both go to something called the command post. The command post is an area in the ballpark where we're watching you. We've got control of cameras. We've got control of the roof. We've got control of all of the systems in the ballpark. All of the security is all done from an area in a ballpark. The Marlins command post is right above the batter's eye, actually. Well, in theory, you'd call it below the batter's eye, but it's in the batter's eye. So immediately, you call 911. You alert them that we are in active shooter status. I am going right to the command post. Actually, I want to give you something I would do first. I would make sure that my family, and this sounds incredibly selfish, I guess, but I'm just telling you exactly how it would work. I would make sure that if I had guests at the game, that they got down to my office, which required an elevator ride, and that they would have my key card and they would get into the office and I would tell them to stay until you hear from me again. I then am going to the command post. In the command post, I am responsible at that moment to make sure that the following things are happening. One, I'm in communication with Major League Baseball, which is easy to do. I know exactly in the commissioner's office who I'm calling to tell them, here's what's going on. That's after I've called 911 and that's after not before, that's after I have figured out with police, with 911, and with my security people what we're doing with our fans and employees. Are they sheltering in place? Are they being evacuated to a certain area? Are we doing it in a quiet way because we have a bomb threat? Are we doing it in a loud, panicked way because there's someone shooting right now? In the Washington Nationals case, they didn't know whether the shots were coming from inside the ballpark, outside the ballpark, or what was going on. The broadcasters had no idea what was going on because they said it in the broadcast. We hear something, we think people are running, we don't know. The problem that happened in Washington is that the shooting was going on outside the ballpark and for whatever reason, unbeknownst to me, the Nationals had people evacuate the ballpark. The claim was the shooting was outside the third base exit. So take the left field or the center field exit. That's nowhere in my handbook. 
I'm not letting people move from the ballpark when I have it confirmed to me by police. And I'm not talking about my security people. I'm talking about local police. In Miami, we had the city police and we had the county police, two police forces every game. They are outside the ballpark and they are inside the ballpark. Every stadium has police inside and outside the ballpark. They communicate with the command post. If they're not aware where the shooter is, but they know there's an active shooter, it is shelter in place, get down, await instructions. And when we give instructions, we're not going to be wrong. And it's not that I'm criticizing the nationals because it's an impossible nightmare panic situation. But that is why you need slow twitch, low heart rate people who are working with the police and with your in-game entertainment people. In-game entertainment is in charge of the PA announcer and they're in charge of the Jumbotron. On the flow chart, on the list of things to do, there are people who get communicated with. In-game entertainment is toward the top of the list. It's below 911 and below the police. But they are there to be told so the fans can get word of what to do. The social media group so we can text to our fans. The PR people so they can get to the media in the media room and so the media can get it out the PR people to get to the broadcasters so they can get it out. And what the information that they're trying to get out is to make sure that there is no panic where more people can get hurt by fleeing quickly and that we've made the right decision as to what should be happening and where it should be happening. The reason you rehearse it is that you can't get it wrong because getting it wrong can cost lives. The Nationals put something on the Jubotron. They did. They made an official statement about the game being suspended. They put on the Jumbotron to stay in place. Then they put on the Jumbotron to leave. I was scared, but amazingly proud of the players and of the security down on field level. Great stories you can read about players who allowed not just for their families, but for fans in general to come down through the dugout into the tunnel. The way the dugouts work is you can access from the field. There are certain doors that have by rule in baseball. There are certain breaks in the fence where you can access the field. But in a panic situation, you can also jump over these short walls to get to the field even though there's netting now, so that may be a little different. The players allowed fans to come and seek shelter. That creates another security issue, which was taken care of immediately by security who we would send and the Nationals properly sent down to the clubhouses because you just can't have fans and players that close interacting, going through the clubhouse, et cetera. There are plenty of rooms down in the service area, the level where there is a clubhouse to get shelter. You don't let people leave your ballpark if there's an active shooter outside your ballpark until you get permission from 
the police. And once that permission is there, you tell your fans there is no reason to be concerned. The shooter has been detained. You have to disclose to them. There is no longer an active shooter. Please leave in an orderly fashion. I always find it interesting that when I'm on an airplane and they're going through the safety briefing, in a case of emergency, please calmly proceed to the emergency exit. If there's no lights, then you can follow the floor to the nearest exit. Please pay attention to where the exit is. It may be behind you. In case of a water landing, leave everything. You may want to grab your life vest. Here's how to put it on. If I'm on a plane that's going down or crashes and somehow I survive, I'm not sure that I'm gonna have a low enough heart rate to calmly wait for the person in seat 14A to nicely get out while me in 15A follows behind. In an active shooter situation, people have a tendency to run, which can lead to trampling and sometimes more injuries than even in an active shooter situation, which as it turned out was a drive-by shooting as opposed to the worst of the worst nightmare when you are counting what the nightmares are is someone just opening fire in your ballpark indiscriminately like Vegas, but indoors. But a drive-by shooting where one of your fans waiting for an Uber outside the ballpark gets shot is an absolute nightmare. I hope that no other team ever has to do anything other than practice. There's other things we practice as well, like what to do with fans whose behavior is so inappropriate that it doesn't even go to the flow chart up to me. If you throw something on the field, we have a very simple rule. You're gone. Hard stop. I don't care if it's a baseball. I don't care if it's a hot dog or a giveaway bobblehead or some sort of other projectile or a bottle top. You throw something on the field, even if it's in between innings, it's an immediate ejection. If you throw a baseball on the field and you hit someone like a security guy or a player, it's an ejection and I'm going to want to press charges. The Red Sox-Yankees had a game this weekend, and Alex Verdugo, who's the former Dodger who got traded to the Red Sox from Mookie Betts, was playing in the outfield at Yankee Stadium, and a fan of the Yankees threw a baseball that hit Alex Verdugo in the back. Alex Verdugo, a bit of a red ass, totally, totally understandable in this situation. Felt as though he wanted to reenact malice at the palace. Google it if you don't know what that is. He would have gone up into the stands in two seconds had it been easier and more accessible, and he wanted to crush the person who threw the ball at him. What's interesting to me is that he showed great restraint. What I do in that situation is I turn over that fan to the, in the holding cell, have the police take them, and I want charges to be pressed. In this case, the fan did not have 
any charges made against him. Explain to me, can you walk down the street and take a baseball and whip it at someone and hit them and not be charged with assault? If you're a lawyer out there, I'm just, what do I know? I'm just a lawyer who took the bar. I never practiced. I'll grant you. I have no idea. I took criminal law. I definitely passed it. I was under the impression that there is a law that you cannot take a baseball and whip it at someone. I may be wrong. I also think there's a law you can't take a hockey stick and throw it in someone's face. Oh, that's just hooking. My view is taking a baseball, and I said this inside a meeting at Major League Baseball, I wanted players to be charged. You want to stop fighting in baseball, which was something the commissioner wanted to do? When a player goes to the mound with a bat, charge him with a crime. When a player takes his helmet and throws it at a player, charge him. I don't care about the union. What are we doing here? But don't worry. The Yankees have it all taken care of. I want to tell you what they did and what it all means. While the Yankees appreciate the spirit and passion of our fans and our various rivalries, especially with the Red Sox, reckless, disorderly, and dangerous behavior that puts the safety of players, field staff, or fellow fans in jeopardy will not be tolerated. When I do a statement like that, I always put the fans first, by the way, because when the fans are reading the statement, I want the fans to think that they are first, even though in my mind, the players are definitely first, but I want fans to think that they're first. When you're listing things, you're supposed to do it in order of importance to you that you think is most important. Because when people read a list of people, hey, I want to thank, da, 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 da. you can do an and right at the end, and my mother. But if you put like, your mother or your spouse, like his sixth on the list out of 10, it's dicey, right? You either go first or last and last has to be an and. Think of movie credits. The Yankees continued. There's absolutely no place for it at Yankee Stadium. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The safety of everyone at Yankee Stadium, including guests in the stands. You got it right. And players on the field will always be the top priority for the Yankees organization every time we open our doors. So they got it right the list that time, but they obviously don't know whoever wrote this because they just got lucky. So then the Yankees say, we have an idea. We're going to ban this fan from all future Yankee games. The fan said, oh, he was just throwing the ball back. He can't believe he hit someone. He was getting pressure to throw it back because it may have been a ball thrown in the stands. Verdugo threw it into a Red Sox fan, but a Yankees fan caught it. Instead of giving it to the Red Sox fan, he takes the ball, throws it back, and hits Verdugo in the back. Blah, blah, blah. I don't care what your excuse is. MLB then gets on board and says, you're banned for life, not just from Yankee Stadium, from all 29 stadiums. I've always enjoyed that. I want to explain to you what that means to be banned for life, because I'm sure you're all saying, how exactly are you going to enforce that? Do you know that at the entrance, every one of Marlins Park entrances, and I, <laughs> wait for it, at every one of Marlins Park entrances, there are pictures of people who are banned from the stadium, Marlins Park, and banned for life by MLB. In theory, as you're walking through security, they're supposed to be looking at the pictures, looking at you, and if they see you, 
you're not allowed in. How do you think that goes? I can only imagine that right now at the park sponsored by the MLB sponsor, Lone Depot, they've got my picture there. If you see that guy, he's not allowed in. Banned. So this guy could go to PNC and you think that they're looking at the picture and saying, oh, you're not allowed in. It's impossible to enforce. The reason why we say banned for life and the reason why we put the pictures up is that if by chance you get in trouble again, disorderly conduct, reckless conduct, throwing projectiles, if by chance you do something again, we'd have the background to immediately know who you are because when someone is in trouble at the ballpark, we check the roster of bannies because if you've been banned, you're going to get in even more legal trouble. We're going to make an even bigger effort to have you arrested and charged, et cetera. But for all you who came out and asked me, how do they actually enforce it? All teams will tell you, oh, we enforce it. We're paying attention. Our security guys are looking at every single person that's going through the stands, whatever. We used to have pictures by where the ticket guys would rip your tickets. Now it's just, they're looking at the ticket. They're looking at their scanner. They scan the ticket. They look to see, oh yeah, you're legit. Go ahead. And then they pass through. Eye contact, it's a thing of the past. You need eye contact. Of course, we have cameras looking at everyone, but guess what we're not doing? We're not spending the time looking at 5,000 fans or 10,000 or 20,000 fans. Ooh, is that the band guy? Is that the band guy? Ooh, I got it. Is that the band guy? No, not happening. Coco would like me to address you as we were preparing for this show pregame. He wanted to ask whether or not, as I told him my, my view of fans, et cetera, why he thinks I'm okay. He said, are you going to talk about that it's okay when pitchers throw at a batter that that's okay and that's not assault? Are you being inconsistent? When you charge the man with a bat, and this is what I told him, and I'll tell you and you can decide. When you charge the, charge the man with a bat or you take a ball and whip it as they're coming to you, or you take your stick on a breakaway and you slash in the face, or in a fight you use your stick, that is far different than throwing a fastball between the numbers or hitting a guy on the derriere. There is no pitcher who has ever taken a ball and thrown it at a player's face. They sometimes go, quote unquote, headhunting, but headhunting is when you're throwing at the numbers or throwing at the butt, but pitchers don't have the best command all the time, so it can result in a too close to call fly over the head. The reason why I differentiate that that is not a crime is I am looking at intent. I'm a big intent guy, and I'm a big consequentialist when it fits me. Consequentialist means I don't care what your intent was. I just care what the, what the result was. Intent is I don't care what the result was. I just care what you wanted it to be. I get to be both and I get to tell you why I'm both because when the circumstances dictate, it's okay to be the intent guy. When you are a pitcher throwing a ball, I can tell and umpires can tell and executives can tell and the commissioner can tell intent. We say all sorts of stuff publicly. Oh, he wasn't throwing it at him. We make our managers say that, but we know very well because we've had the discussion. 
And people in the commissioner's office know very well because we've all been around the game. It's not a crime, Coca. Sometimes it should be, though. All right, when we come back, we have to talk about a movie that I watched that made me smile and wince. And then we are going to get into some other things that Coca hasn't told me yet because we're too much to talk about today. Too much. We're going to definitely go through the picks of the day and some wait to sees. We'll be right back. Thank you. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Sampson. Thank you. Hope you had a great weekend. Hope you went to Nothing Personal and rated, reviewed, and followed on Spotify, on Apple. Keep it up. Tell your friends about us. Get on YouTube, Nothing Personal with David Sampson. Can you see anything different today than you saw Friday, than you saw Thursday? Hmm, what could it be? Hey, Coke, I got a great idea. The first person, not the first person. This is even better. Can we do it with followers, Coca? Like, hey, I don't know what we can do. Something's different. This is what happens when we don't prepare this. Something's different today, but you got to go to nothing personal. And if you don't hit subscribe, we'll know if you don't subscribe, you're not eligible to win. I don't even know what you're going to win, but you got to subscribe to the YouTube channel and tell me what's different. Good on paper, watch a movie every day. And that's really fun to do. There is an actress and comedian named Eliza Schlesinger. No relation to the president of the Brewers, Rick, that I'm aware of. Although I have no idea. If you've got a limited amount of time left to live, which is pretty much everyone. So act accordingly. I'm here to save you an hour and a half. Good on paper is a movie about a woman who thinks that her boyfriend is good, but her friend says he may not be good. He seems to be a little creepy. He is a little creepy. Why is he so creepy? What's the story with him? She's looking for love, looking for a good relationship. It's so disempowering to women, this movie, that women need to be in a relationship to feel satisfied or they're looking for love in all the wrong places or right places so they can feel as though that they've got someone looking out for them. Where my experience is, there's plenty of independent women who can look out for themselves and be perfectly fine, if not better than being held back by some bad guy. It's not a great movie. Don't see it. I'm not going to spend any more time on it, but I watched it. Okay, that's enough of that. Uh, we got to talk about Otani, Coca. I don't want to let the day go without talking about Otani because why wouldn't you? Shohei Otani is the player who is in the home run derby. Shohei Otani is the uh, guy who pitches, the guy who hits. You know who he is. In the home run derby, you get a million dollars for winning. You also get $150,000 if you get eliminated in the first round. So just by saying yes to the home run derby when you're a player who's being paid the minimum, you're going to get 150 grand. That's 25% bonus of your salary. If you win it, you get like a 180% bonus on your salary. We talked about that. 
Shohei Otani came out and it came out that he took the $150,000 and generously gave it to people who help him. He gave it to staffers in the clubhouse. He gave it to clubhouse attendants. He gave it to the training staff. He gave it to media relations people. The way it works in baseball is that the people helping the players do not make a lot of money. You can work in a clubhouse as a clubhouse attendant. You're making an hourly wage and you are hoping the players tip you. At the end of every road stand, technically the way this works, just so you can know this, I don't think we've ever talked about it. Under the collective bargaining agreement, players when they're on the road get a per diem each day. If you're on the road for three days, let's say you get $100 a day. With that $100 a day, you don't have to get a hotel room because we put you in a hotel and pay for the room. You can use that $100 a day to buy food. You can use it to gamble on the team plane, which is how the majority of players use it. You can use it to go shopping, but you're also supposed to use it because at the end of a road series, you tip the clubhouse manager on the visiting side. When you go to another stadium, there is a person in the clubhouse who's in charge of getting you your food, washing your laundry, taking care of everything you need, setting up your locker, breaking it down, packing your suitcase, packing your duffel, packing your equipment, giving you any sort of special request you have. Hey, I like the phone number of the person right above the dugout in the fourth row. Can you get a ball to that person with my phone number on it? Hey, can you get me a quarter pounder with cheese? Because my wife thinks I'm a vegan. Hey, can you make sure that the following things are happening right when I need them to happen and I need a dinner reservation after the game? That's what clubhouse people do. That's the head of the clubhouse. Underneath the head of the clubhouse are people who are inside the locker room clubhouse who are literally taking your jock strap and your cup and your shoes. They're cleaning your shoes after games. They are actually the ones doing the laundry. The head of the clubhouse doesn't actually do the laundry. They are setting up the uniforms. They're staying till two in the morning every night to reset up your locker. So when you come back the next day, everything's normal. They're the ones going out and doing the errand of getting the quarter pounder or getting the phone number or doing whatever. Part of the $100 a day is used to tip. Tipping is how these kids, many of them are kids, are making a living. Then the trainers. The trainers are in charge of keeping you healthy. A lot of players do not like their trainers. They blame trainers for their injuries, which is so misguided and so misplaced that it gives me sweats. You're hurt because you're not taking care of your body properly or because of bad luck, not because the trainer somehow did something that means you can't throw a ball because you tore your labrum or that you can't recover from a hamstring because you're trying too much and not doing the physical therapy that's really required or the rest to fix your hamstring. Trainers get a lot of negative attention when players are hurt. They get blamed. There's turnover like the Yankees did this year, got rid of all their training staff, bringing in special people, doing special things, blah, blah. Guess what? Those special people taking care of your $30 million players are making about 150K at most. You can bring a trainer in for 75K, an assistant to the assistant trainer, 65. Let's say with inflation, I've been out of the game for four years. Maybe it's all changed. Hell yeah, they're at 90K. I'm not saying that's a little bit of money. 
I'm just saying they're taking care of $30 million players. The players say to themselves, hey, I'd like to tip the trainer. Media relations people are the people in the clubhouse who every day are in there running interference for you and telling you what to do, when to do it, but also protecting you from too many media obligations. If you are Shohei Otani, that role is one of the most important roles of all time because you've got a group of Japanese journalists and photographers who are following you everywhere. When Ichiro was on the Marlins, our contingency of traveling media doubled. There were groups of people who were there just to photograph everything Ichiro did, every at-bat, every time he went to BP, every swing, every time he caught a ball during BP, anything. There were photographs taken. Shohei Otani is getting that same amount of attention. So when there are media relations people, you want to tip them too. So Shohei Otani took his 150 grand and gave it to like 30 people. I thought it was incredibly generous and I thought it was incredibly smart. There was some discussion on Twitter at David P. Sampson about the tax implications of this. So I wanted to teach everyone the following. Anyone in the world can give you $15,000 right now. They can give it to you one time, $15,000. They can give you $1,000 a month for 12 months and then an extra three grand. They can give you $2,000 one month, $8,000 another month, and then another $5,000. We can make it up however you want to make it up. And there is two things that happen when you give any stranger, anybody under $15,000 in the calendar year. It's not just cash. It's also if you buy a plane ticket for someone that is giving them something. There is no tax consequence to the giver of the $15,000. If you give below $15,000, you can give that to as many people as you want. If you give more than $15,000 to a person, then you have to declare that in your taxes that you have given a gift to someone to declare the amount of the gift. If you do not have any of your lifetime gift exclusion left, which is about $11 million currently. So if you've given away more than $11 million on the 12th million that you give away, you have to pay a gift tax. Gift tax is generally 50% of what you've given away. So if you give someone a million dollars, you then give the government half a million dollars. That means you've given away a million and a half dollars. If you give away $15,000 to a million people, you do not have to file a gift tax return. You are not using any of your lifetime exclusion. You are in no issues at all. For the people who receive the gift, it is not taxable. When you work for someone and you get paid W-2 income, which is the form you fill out when you work, and then you have taxes withheld, you have Social Security withheld, and then you have to file a tax return. What's your gross income? My income is my salary or your in income in from investments, whatever your income is. You pay taxes on that. When someone gives you under $15,000, you don't declare that because you don't have to. It's not income to you. If someone gives you $30,000, guess what? If it's a gift, 
you do not have to declare it or pay taxes on it. But if the person who gives you the 30 grand does not disclose that he or she or they gave you that gift, they have a problem on their taxes. If you are given money and you don't know whether it's a gift, you have to ask yourself, am I doing something for this person? Do I do a job? If you're in the clubhouse and you are doing a job and then you get a bonus for doing that job, that is income to you. If you are in the clubhouse and you are doing a job and you get tipped by a player to do that job, even if that tip is in cash, that is income to you. And you have to declare it. For all the people who get paid in cash and don't declare it, that is a violation of the law. What I find interesting is that I could make an argument if I were the IRS that the money given by Shohei Otani to the people he gave it to was not a gift, that it was actually compensation for the work they do. And I could make an argument that that should be income for those employees. That said, if you are an employee who got money from Shohei Otani, don't panic. The IRS has bigger things to do than figuring whether or not the person in the clubhouse or the media relations person or the trainer is taking Shohei's 14 grand in his income or if it's being used as a gift. The overarching theme here is the generosity, respect, and just amazing thing that Shohei Otani did because trust me, the majority of players, just like the majority of people, are not doing that. I got to make a correction. So we do our show uh, live. I think it's called live to tape because you can't watch it anywhere live. So it's not on YouTube live yet because Coca hasn't let me do a live YouTube show yet, which I really want to do, Coca, by the way. It's totally doable. I don't really know how to do it, but that's your job. But Coca does not take our show and edit it, which means that whatever happens during these 45 minutes, this is the 45 minutes that we give you every single day. Sometimes I make mistakes. I want to hear from you when I do. I am not outstanding at a lot of things, but certainly at pronouncing names, but I need to do better. Ichiro, when he travels, and even when he doesn't, has people around him. He's got an interpreter. He also has a, a, a biographer an assistant, an overall phenomenally important, nice, interesting, smart person who lives in St. Louis, but is back and forth to Japan all the time, et cetera. His name is Brad. He is a friend of nothing personal. I've known him for a long time. He was instrumental in getting the national and getting each road to the Marlins. So he sent me something after the show last week, Friday, and said, come on, Samson, out of respect to Ichiro, you have to pronounce Japanese names correctly. The Yankees have Kyle Higashioka, not Higashoka. It's Higashioka, which means Eastern Hillside. I appreciate that correction. I pronounced his name wrong. Now I got it right. 
he's the one who's part of the Yankees in COVID. Thank you, Brad. Nothing personal pick of the day. On Friday, we had the Nats over Chris Paddock. We nailed it. Chris Paddock sucked. What I didn't count on is the Nats would give up 29 runs or 28 runs. We lost. Saturday, the Suns minus four. Did you watch that game? The NBA Finals, game five. The Bucks found a way to win 123-119. I'm very angry that I lost the nothing personal pick of the day. But I'm very happy the Bucks won. So I could say it sort of worked. And then yesterday was a give me Zach Wheeler beating the Marlins. So we had that. We went one and two. We're 95 and 78 going into today's game. Lance Lynn is pitching. Lance Lynn just got a two-year extension from the White Sox. Lance Lynn is the guy who the White Sox traded for from the Texas Rangers, who's only making about $10 million. He has been a stalwart, a workhorse for the Rangers every year. Consistent, takes the ball. Does not have injury issues. I'm knocking on wood. He's leading a great rotation. Not the best White Sox pitcher this year. But wow. Part of a great staff that's now locked up. They decided, and I get this. When you have a first place team and you, <laughs> you believe that you are now in your window that is going to last more than this season. You are looking into next season, the season after, and you say to yourself, our rotation's been so good. We've got Chilito. We've got Lynn. We've got Rodone. We are going to lock these guys, keep them through 2023 at the very least. So they got a little irrationally exuberant and gave Lynn a two-year extension. At the height, he had just been named an all-star. Everything's going great. When a pitcher takes a two-year deal at age 35 for $19 million a year, my guess is his shoulder hurts, his elbow hurts, his knee hurts, his head hurts, and he doesn't want to go into free agency. And so he doesn't. Lance Lynn got a two-year deal, but let me tell you, this year he's doing well again. He plays the Twins, who are officially my biggest disappointment of the season. I'm taking Lance Lynn and the White Sox over the Twins for the pick of the day. Guess what? That's our show. <laughs> we had so much more to get to. We're going to get to more. We got to go through some wait to sees tomorrow, Coca, because a bunch of them came true. We got to do the So You Want to Talk to Samson that I didn't get to today. I'm going to try to get to that tomorrow. We didn't even get to talk about Damian Lillard. God dog it, Coca. It's just business. This is nothing personal. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.